Welcome to Mindfulness Coaching for Female Minority Physicians. I'm your host, Sogol Palawan, MD, aka Dr. Sogol. This is a podcast for female minority physicians that are ready to embark on an inner journey of self-fulfillment, to find joy by connecting to the present moment. In this podcast, you will learn to fully take back responsibility of your life by reclaiming your power and committing to being your most authentic self. Let's get started. Hi, y'all. Episode number 14. Super excited. A couple of announcements. I just wanted to invite you over to my social media page, Mindful Living with Dr. Sogol. It's on Instagram and Facebook. And I hope you are enjoying the improvement in the audio. So the new audios were recorded from episode number 12. Please let me know if this has made any new difference. If you go to the show notes, my email is there and also my Instagram links and the Facebook link is there as well. I would love to start some really meaningful conversations in social media so I can meet who's out there that's listening to my podcast and supporting me. Really appreciate it. The other thing I was thinking of when I was thinking of my audience and my podcast is I've heard from my current clients, coaching clients, that, you know, when I talk about journaling, it is not as easy for them to sit down and journal and commit to journaling. So I was thinking about putting together a free webinar and I would do this through Zoom, but on my Facebook page and explain how I journal and what my method is and give y'all a framework of what that looks like for me. Journaling is different for everybody. I have just kind of over the last year created my own technique in my workflow and it works really well for me. So if y'all are interested in that webinar, if I can get an interest of like at least like five people, I would say, then I am more than happy to create that for y'all. You can communicate your interests with me through just my email, which is palabonsogol at gmail.com, which is in the links at the bottom of the show note. Or you could Facebook message me through my Mindful Living or through Instagram, Dr. Sogol Mindful Living. Either way, connect with me somehow and just say, hey, yeah, I'm interested in your webinar or I'm interested in learning more about the journaling and it'll probably be in June. I've got some stuff that I need to wrap up for May, but let me know. I will be more than happy because I really think journaling is what solidifies everything that I've been teaching y'all. And if you go back to that episode where I talked about the consumption versus the the action, you are, all of y'all that have been listening to my podcast now have the knowledge and the understanding of how your brain works. And so you just have to put it in action and you won't get any results until you put that in action. So I am trying to help you along with that. Okay. Let's talk about today's episode is accepting your teenage brain. So we talked a couple of episodes back about introducing the teenager and what that teenager does and where it comes. And I'm really going to delve into this episode, uh, really delve into the the midbrain, which is your limbic system, right? So remember, we talked about there's three parts to your brain. There's the primitive, which is prim, the toddler. There's the midbrain, which is the limbic system. This is what we're going to talk about today. That is the emotional 
emotional part of your brain. And obviously you have your prefrontal cortex, which is the parent part of the brain. And I'm going to throw some big, large medical words or anatomy brain words out there, but I'm not going to dwell a lot in it. But I feel like for the scientists out there and the physicians out there, I really want to give them something tangible, something that's evidence-based to, to fall back on. So feelings come from the midbrain. Okay. Your midbrain is your limbic system. It's the emotional part of the brain. And it is what we have named Amy the teenager. Okay. There's four, there's more parts, but there's four big parts that I'm going to talk about. Eventually, I'm going to cover all four parts, but today I'm just going to talk about the amygdala. So there's the amygdala, which is the emotional response and processing your emotions. So it creates the emotions and it processes it. It's There's the hippocampus, which is where all your memories are, your childhood memories, your traumas, all that stuff. Your hypothalamus, sorry, these are super big words. That's your emotional response center. And we'll talk a lot about this in a different podcast because it's got a lot of good stuff. And then your limbic cortex, which is your motivation. So your limbic system, which is your emotional system, also has to do with your motivation, your memories, and anything that has to do with your emotions or your feelings. And remember how the primitive brain always asks, am I alive? The toddler's like, am I alive? Right? No one's going to kill me. Am I safe? Am I alive? Your midbrain, your teenager, your limbic system always asks, am I loved? Okay. And then your parent brain, which is the prefrontal cortex always asks, am I learning? So those are important things just to kind of remember as the foundation of our talk. So in this particular episode, I want to just focus on the function of the amygdala. Okay. The amygdala, remember we named Amy the teenager. The amygdala is a little almond shape thing in your midbrain. And it's got, I'm going to talk about a couple of different roles that it has. So it responds to your environment by creating emotions. So this is where Amy's the one that tells you if you're mad, if you're sad, if you're happy, if you're joyful, if you're angry, it comes from the midbrain, the amygdala, this part of the brain. And it also allows you to process the emotion. So it not only creates the emotions, it responds to the emotions, it also processes the emotion. And I'm going to talk in depth about what that means because it's super vague. That's going to be a different podcast. Remember how I talked last time that we don't process any of our emotions that we just avoided or rejected or hide from it? And remember the example I gave in the teenager, in my experience in the PICU or the teenager that had cystic fibrosis that had the bilateral lung transplants that had passed away when, and we found out when we came into rounding one morning, I think it was our third week in the PICU. And remember how we talked about there was no space or even time or even attention to processing her death. If you really think about it, it was a complete form of neglect on our part. And this is when, if you can translate it into the relationship between a teenager and a parent, 
most parents completely neglect their teenagers. They send them messages like, you don't matter, you're in the way, you're such a burden, please move over, I've got to go to work, or if you have a problem, deal with it on your own, I don't have time, if you have an emotion, get over it, suck it up, the world is tough, and so you need to learn how to be tough to survive in the world. This is the message that we are sending our teenage brain all the time when we don't stop to process the emotions. It's a message that says, I don't care about you, period, move on, deal with it, move on. So think of this relationship and how this relationship for you as a parent and then with the teenager, how does this pan out over the years? if you keep ignoring it and avoiding it and shutting it out, right? The teenager translates this as to neglect, abandonment. The teen ultimately feels like it's abandoned. It's not healthy and it's not a thriving relationship. But unfortunately, this is the most common relationships we see not only with our teens in our brain, but actually with our teens in real life. So I'm going to make a lot of correlation between this teenager that you have in your brain and how they're treated and the teenager that you have in your life or have had in your life or going to have in your life as like your child, your actual physical child that you birthed. So I'm going to go back and forth between these two relationships. So overall, teen years, as everybody knows, in child development, they teach you that teen years are the time of self-discovery and independence. Teens want to be left alone 99% of the time to fend for themselves, right? They're trying to find their way. They're trying to find their identity. They're trying to find their independence in the world. You as the parent, me as the parent, this is like the three things that us as the parents serve, serve as in our teens, right? We serve as Uber drivers until they're the age of 16, We serve as ATM machines, hopefully until they get a job or maybe till the age of 18. And we serve as their personal chefs and thank God to DoorDash and favor that that role has been taken off of my plate because our kids love to order from DoorDash and they are totally rejecting my cooking. But if you seriously think about it, parents are the pillars of support for their teens, right? In the family unit, parents are like the foundation for what the teens can build off of or when the teens, what the teens fall back on. Parents are the teenager's rock, right? Your teen is never going to admit that to you ever, (laughs) but we know that the parents play a very important role and probably one of the most important role in a teen's emotional development. And that feeds into their mental well-being. So why do we choose over and over to abandon and reject our own teenagers? 
Y'all ever thought about that? Our own teens that are living within us in our amygdala. Why are we always rejecting Amy the teenager or avoiding it or putting it last? Aside from teens wanting independence and self-discovery, you know what else they want, which again, they'll never admit to? They crave love. But what we give them in society and in the family unit and also in our brain, we hand them over a plate of rejection. Remember how we talked about the midbrain? What's the question that the midbrain always asks? What is it concerned about? It's concerned about, am I loved? Prime, the toddler says, am I safe? Your parent says, am I learning? The teen wants to be loved or asks to be loved. Amy, the teenager, is asking over and over, do you love me? So the mistakes that we make as parents is that we don't have the right definition of love. Love is not Gucci handbags. It's not five-star luxury vacations. It's not $200 Lululemon leggings. It's not $500 Golden Goose Snickers. Sneakers, not in Snickers, sorry, sneakers. The shoes that are like dirty and they look like they've been beat up, but you, it costs more than like someone's rent. It's ridiculous. They're not the Xboxes or the Nintendo Switch or the Roblox money stuff that all these teenagers or these kids are asking for. Love for me is connection. It's something from the inside. It's connecting heart to heart. It's priceless. You can't assign it a monetary value. You can't purchase it off of Amazon or Saks Fifth Avenue or the web somewhere. When Amy, the teenager, is asking you, do you love me? Right? That part of your midbrain is asking you, do you love me? It's asking you for acceptance. It's asking you, do you accept me? Can you connect with me and accept me? That is what true unconditional love is. Can you accept me for who I am, my true self, my authentic self, not who you want me to be on your terms? right? Think about it. When your teenage brain asks you, do you love me? We often reply, "Mm, yeah, but only if you do X, Y, and Z. Think about that. It always comes back with a string attached, a barter system. I will give you love if you give me this. I will love you and accept you if you do this for me. I will love you if you get a better job. I will love you if you lose five pounds. I will accept you if you drive a nicer car. An electric car will even be better. I will love you if you buy a bigger house. The list of expectations are endless. So you ask, how do you truly accept yourself? 
So you're like, okay, you're telling me you've got this like teenage brain and you've got the midbrain and it's like a teenager and we're supposed to like love them and connect with them and accept them. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. But how do we do that? Because like most of the time I love myself by buying me a drink and a nice cocktail and then like sitting in front of Netflix and, you know, maybe shopping online. That's my definition of love, right? So you love, you connect, you accept by two things, two words, see and hear, see like with your eyes, S-E-E and hear. You see them and you hear them. You see them by giving them attention and support. You hear them by acknowledging them by validating them, by affirming them, by encouraging them. Do y'all remember that first episode? I think it was my first episode or maybe it was the second episode that I told y'all about the prescription for a mindful living. And we talked about awareness and we've been talking about awareness for the past two months, which has to do with your toddler brain and your thoughts and your beliefs and your patterns, right? Well, this is the second part of the prescription. This is the acceptance part. Acceptance of your teenager, whether that is your birthed teenager that's living in your home or whether that's your teenager that's living in your amygdala, your midbrain, Amy, the teenager wants your acceptance, not your rejection, not your judgment. It wants you to feel what she's feeling to accept any emotion she offers you for the day, whether that be sadness, joy, anger, irritability, worry, anxiety, heartache, you pick. It wants you to see that emotion. It wants you to feel that vibration, right? We talked about how our emotions are just vibrations. Feelings are just vibrations in our body. And by seeing, y'all don't get me wrong, I don't want you to like be like, oh, Amy, Amy, the teenager was super angry today. So I screamed bloody murder and I went in the mirror and I looked at myself screaming bloody murder. You told me that I need to see Amy. So I went and screamed in the mirror. No, this is not like I want you to have a temper tantrum and then like record yourself, which sometimes it works uh, because you get a lot of insight when you're watching yourself back. That's not, not my intention. It wants you to see with your mind's eye. And if you don't understand what your mind's eye is, I think the episode is pretend play that I talked about a little bit about the mind's eye. It wants you to look within yourself. This is all about the connection that you have within yourself, within your physical body has nothing to do with anything outside of your body. Okay. Look in your body and see what feeling you have, drop down to your body because the teenager sends those feelings down to your body. That's where you're going to see it is inside of your body, okay? want you to describe its intensity, its quality, its temperature, its consistency. And I'm going to do a whole podcast on like processing your feelings later on. So stay tuned with that. Then it wants you to hear it. We do this by validating and acknowledging it. But how do we hear, right, our feelings that our teenager is offering us? We do this by breath work. We do this by breathing. So once you've seen it, 
right? You know where it is, you located the intensity, the color, the, the vibration, the location, all that. Now what you're going to do is you're going to breathe into it. You're going to breathe in, pause, breathe out, and you're going to recite. I see my body is feeling, and then you insert the feeling. So let's say anger. I see my body is feeling anger. Anger is a normal human emotion. Anger is not scary. Emotions are not problematic. It's okay to be angry. Humans can feel anger sometimes. Or if you can't remember all that, just identify it. I see my body is feeling angry. Anger is okay. That's an easy one. It's okay. Remember that really short sentence, two words or three words, it's okay. Okay. So what you're doing is you're acknowledging the anger and validating it. I know it totally sounds counterproductive because you're like, "Uh, that makes absolutely no sense. Like when I'm angry, why do I want to sit there and be angry? Doesn't that cause me to be more angry or doesn't that like prolong the anger? No, it actually does not. The more that you resist, the more you avoid, the more you're completely like clueless and unaware, that is what causes the intensity of that feeling to increase. That's what causes that feeling to stay longer. Please trust me on this because I know most when I heard this, I was like, what? That absolutely makes no sense. The sentence that I keep repeating is, What you resist persists. So if you feel anger, if Amy is angry today and you say, shoo, shoo, go away, deal with it. You're just an angry teenager. I'm tired of dealing with you. We've had this conversation many times. That, think about in real life. Like if you have a teenager, okay, and you resist your teenager in whatever, whatever demand they want or whatever they're trying to ask for you to do or want you to do. Last time you resisted your teenager, how did that go for you? Yeah, think about it. Did they give you a big hug? And they were like, oh, thanks, mom. Thank you so much. You're the shining light in my life. I'm just going to follow all your advice, right? Was that their reaction? Or did they stomp their feet, roll their eyes, muttered a few censored words under their breath, and then like slam the door in your face and walk out or slam the door to their room and just sat there and like skip dinner, right? Because if you really think about it, I mean, if you've got a teenager where they hug you and thank you and follow every single advice you have, then I think you're one of the 1% or 0.5% minority of parents. Most of us have the latter response from our teenagers. Teenagers don't want advice. They don't want solutions. They don't want a lecture and they don't want you to share your experiences. Okay. That stuff falls on deaf ears. So save your breath. If you've got something enlightening to say, leave your word, write your words on your, you know, social media post or, or text it to your mom because your mom or your grandma will love those words and they'll love your wisdom. That's not what teenagers are not looking for wisdom. Okay. I'm not saying, on the other hand, I'm not saying, oh yeah, let your teenager do whatever they want. Let them run the show. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that You need to have acceptance along with awareness. And then you need to, of course, balance that with boundaries. And I don't 
use the word discipline for kids. I use boundaries. We set our boundaries, okay? We learn from our boundaries. But what I'm saying is stop the resistance. Stop sitting in the dark and pretending that this feeling is going to go away. Stop criticizing your teenagers. I can't believe you're angry again. I can't believe you yelled at your kids again. I can't believe you were late again. Okay, that's judgment. That's negative talk. You do not want to talk to your teenagers with negative connotations. It's toxic. What you want to do is you want to accept your teenager. When you accept your teenager, you're accepting yourself. You want to see your teenager, right? When you're seeing your teenager, you're seeing yourself. You want to hear your teenager. When you're hearing your teenager, you're hearing yourself. And then you want to love your teenager. Imagine loving yourself. Imagine connecting with yourself. And when I talk about yourself, I don't talk about that self that's been conditioned with what your mommy and daddy and grandma and society and boss wants you to do or be. I mean your true authentic self. And this is was a really abstract subject for me when I first started. So I'm going to explain it a lot more in episodes coming up. But when I say yourself, I mean your true self, who you want to be. Because a lot of people are living in their skins because of who people thought they needed them to be. And so that's where a lot of our suffering is coming from too. So when I say yourself, I'm talking about your true authentic self. Okay, so we talked a lot about your how your amygdala's role is to respond to the environment, right? By creating and processing your emotion. Now, the amygdala, it's got two other, well, one role that kind of breaks down into two things. The amygdala is also responsible for classic conditioning. If you are a physician or a scientist, everybody knows about Pavlov's dogs, right? That experiment that is a true example of classic conditioning. Pavlov was a Russian psychologist that described classic conditioning. And basically the equation goes repeated exposure plus a stimulus equals a response. So you have exposure and you have a stimulus that that goes along with that exposure and then you get a response. So his example was Doc salivated when a lab technician brought them food. And over time, he noticed that the dogs would salivate at the mere sight of the technician, okay? Even if the technician was empty-handed. And he paired this up with a bell as the stimulus as well, okay? So let me break it down into real time. So in my culture, the Iranian culture, Persian culture, we were taught out of respect that every time an elder person that was like older than you, right? Not kids, but like older than you, like 18 and up that entered the room. Like, let's say you were at a party or you were in a classroom or you were in a building. I don't know. Every time an older person, elderly for the first time entered the room, you had to stand up, right? If you were sitting, you have to stand up. And, and that was a sign of like acknowledging them. And then you also, if you knew them, if you were, you know, uh, you have had a relationship where you were on um, pretty comfortable with them, then you go in and you greet them by kissing them on the cheek. And there's like this, it's funny because there's this like 
discrepancy, like this fight between like, do you kiss one kiss each cheek or do you go like one, two, three? So different people do it different ways and it's super confusing. Anyways, it was a sign of respect and like acknowledging that person. Okay. So I've been taught as a kid when I was in Iran until the age of 10, when a older person walks into the house or the room or you're at a party and it's an aunt or uncle or whatever, somebody that you know, you stand up and then you greet them and then you kiss them on the cheek or you stand up and you just greet them, but you have to stand up essentially. You can't just sit and be like, hi, that's rude. So then, and we used to do this in school, y'all. So like we use, our schools were different. We were all girls school, right? Because it's like an Islamic state. So like when, and we had like little benches we would sit at. And so you would sit there and then like the teacher was not in the classroom. The, the kids entered the classroom and then like the teacher would come next. So like when the teacher came in, everybody would stand up and like greet the teacher and say some sort of greeting and then everybody would sit down. Okay. Anyways, so fourth grade, America. Oh God, what was the name of my middle school? I know we were the bumblebees. I don't remember the name. I got to go look it up. Anyways, we were sitting in fourth grade. And so every time the teacher entered the classroom, I would automatically like pop out of my seat and say, good morning, Mrs. Blah, 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 blah. And so you can just imagine how this played out in fourth grade in 1986, I think is when we came here. Okay. I was getting crazy weird looks from my classmates. And first I was like completely oblivious, but then as a couple of months went by, I was like, oh, wait, why am I the only one that stands up every time the teacher comes in or every time, like sometimes you'll have like, I don't know, not the principal, but like helpers come in or something like that. So I learned to take my social cues, right? I noticed all these kids like looking at me and like, you know, talking behind my back and uh, it took me a couple of months and I stopped, right? But I was conditioned to this behavior, which is not a bad behavior. It was a great behavior where we came from, right? It was very much understood. In my childhood, it was a habit. It was totally automatic. Like I didn't have to think about it. It was like older person comes in, stand up, say hi. Like it was in like ingrained in my neural pathways that I keep talking about. I didn't have to put any conscious effort into it. Adult entered room, stand up, say hi. That is my example of Pavlov's classic conditioning in action. Okay. So what I want to ask you here is what are you doing and an, on an unconscious level that you're not even aware of that's creating a result that doesn't serve you anymore? For me, standing up and saying hi, for, so let me tell you, for me, meaning a 10-year-old, a foreigner, someone that's completely different, right? Put yourself in that body. If I stand up and I say hi and nobody else does it, how does that behavior serve me? I know it is out of respect. I know it's something that's cultural, but in a different culture at a different time, in a different space, how is that serving me? It wasn't. People were making fun of me, right? It wasn't acceptable socially. So that's what I wanted. It's very specific to where you are and what space you're in. And so I'm not saying it was wrong to stand up and greet people because I still do it. Like when I go to an Iranian function, and people come, I stand up and I say, Salam, how are you? And I, you know, greet them on the cheek if I know them that well. So it's understanding where to use, just being aware of your what this conditioning is and 
what social setting to use that in and if it's appropriate and if it serves you well, right? And if it doesn't, then stopping the behavior. Because so many of us adults are so unconscious and unaware of these conditioned behaviors that we have that are causing certain results that we don't like, that aren't serving us. But what we do instead of like examining ourselves, right? Having introspection, we like blame our experiences or we blame the other person, right? Instead of inspecting the root cause, which is a hundred percent where that result comes from, it's our beliefs, our own thoughts, our own minds. We tend to like point the finger at other people and be like, oh yeah, no, it was their fault. So that's what I really want you to think about. And this is why I talked about conditioning is like, what have you been conditioned as a child, right? Through society, through your family, through your religion, through your culture, whatever that pick one. And is that conditioning serving you? Or is it first ask yourself, is that conditioning, what kind of result is it creating for you? Right. And if it's like, oh, I like really like this result, then great. Well, awesome. Keep it. If it's creating a result that is not serving you well, but then you need to dig in a lot deeper and just kind of evaluate that and see where you want to go with it. Don't point the finger at other people. Okay. So we talked about how the teenager, I mean, the teenager, the McBrain, the amygdala, am I love? We talked about how it creates your emotions, right? It's a bag of emotions. Teenagers are a bag of emotions, erratic, impulsive, up and down, right? They offer you whatever emotions and change within five minutes to 20 different emotions. They pro- It allows you to process your emotions, which is going down into your body and seeing where it is and what it's doing to your body, those vibrations in our body. And it also creates this classical conditioning, which we talked about, the fourth role that it has, the amygdala that I want to talk about, and it does a lot of other stuff, but these are like the main stuff that I really wanted to talk about that's like pertinent to, to my podcast. It, it is the fear and anger center. And so it's responsible for fear conditioning and response, which totally makes sense, y'all, right? If you have a teenager that's living in your house, they're either pissed off at life or they fear the worst case scenario, right? They're either mad at their parents 99.9% of the time. There's so much drama with their friend group. Okay. They can't be, be, they can be like, literally they can be BFFs with like Sandy at 8 AM. And then like by 8 PM, they're like enemies, right? This rocking, like pivoting, like back and forth or swinging erratically back and forth between these two emotions, between these pendulums of like fear and anger over and over and over again. If you sit in fear and anger all the time, what does that translate to you like in your body? Super stressful, right? That's not calm. That's not ease. That's not patience. That's just like a a whole lot of cortisol, right? And every teen in America and also adults, sadly, are living in this space of swinging between their fears and their anger. So for the teenager specifically, let me give you some practical examples. They get angry at a like a minute little tiny like blemish on their face which like they think it's acne and they're like, oh my God, I hate acne. My life is over. I'm not going to have any friends and I'm not going to go be able to go to the dance. Help me. The world is falling, right? 
They get frustrated by their parents. Lack of understanding. How many times have your teenagers said, you don't get it, mom. You just don't understand. They get pissed off that they have to accept responsibility in their life, right? Totally pissed off. I don't understand why I need to do my own laundry when we have a housekeeper, right? Like who can connect with that as a parent? They get mad that, you know, all this quarantine, the COVID quarantine stuff, that when there was so much drama with these teenagers and, and their high school friends, they were, they were mad. They were truly mad. Like COVID doesn't kill kids. So why do I need to quarantine? I'm only 14. Like it's just the old people that die, right? And they would get furious about this. They would get annoyed. This is my favorite, right? So you see your teenager in the morning, right? completely annoyed when you greet them, right? You say hi and they're like, stop talking, I'm tired. Or like, if you even get any words, usually you get like a grunt, like, right? So that's how like they live in their days between this like anger and frustration and being pissed off and mad and annoyed. That is their baseline. That's how they're wired, okay? We can't get mad at them for that. You were like that as a teenager. So we have to have more empathy. And then on the other hand, you have this fear, right? The teenager has this fear of rejection, mostly rejection from their friend group. I won't get invited to any parties. And if I don't get invited to any parties, my life is over. They have fear of judgment, either from their partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, whoever. He won't like me if I cut my hair. He won't like me if I, you know, I don't know, don't wear a skirt. Or he won't like me if I gain five pounds. That fear of judgment. They live in this fear of failure, specifically for their school, like that has to do with their school. If I don't get an A on this test, I won't get into college and my GPA won't be a 5.279, whatever. And I won't get into Yale, like something ridiculous, right? They fear their safety nowadays, right? What if we have another school shooting? What if I'm in the room? What if I'm locked in the room with the school shooter? They fear change. What if COVID comes and we can never go back to school? What's going to happen next fall? Do we have to go virtual? Can we go back to school? And they fear mistakes, okay? And prime example is in sports. If I'm playing basketball and I don't make my free throws, What if I get kicked off the team? If I'm playing tennis and I don't know how to do my uh, backhand, what if I don't make the JV team or the junior team? So my point is they live in a state of stress 24-7 because they're driven and pivot between this fear and anger, this feeling of fear and anger. And so when you're stressed all the time, your body's response is what? It's for the the physicians that stimulates your sympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system is all about cortisol, right? So you're living with like increased heart rate, you're sweating, you're shallow, rapid breathing, your eyes are dilated. Some people are nauseous, their belly pain, headache, whatever. It has all these psychosomatic changes in your body, effects in your bodies. So when you feel like you are fear all the time. When you allow your teenager to be in that fear, whether that be your teenager that's living in your house or the teenager that's living in your head, you go back between fear and uh, worry, right? Fear and anger. Your amygdala 
is in overdrive. Amy, the teenager, is running a wild, untamed party, no boundaries, having a blast partying all day, all night. And that keeps secreting that cortisol over and over. And what is the definition of anxiety, my friends? It's persistent worry and fear. So when you continue to fear, 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 and live in that scarcity, right? And you're continually overstimulating your amygdala and having Amy run the party, that produces anxiety. And that, my friends, is why we have a mental health crisis on our hands today. I, as a pediatrician, have gone from treating ear infections and snotty noses to anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. And the sad truth is it's not just prevalent in the teen population, but also in adults. And why, you ask? Because of one simple thing. We continue to resist and avoid our emotions. We continue to beat ourselves up when we feel angry or mad or or any negative feeling. We don't like it. It doesn't feel good in our body. We don't want it. We want it to go away. So not only... Are we unaware of our toddler brain thoughts and creating this negative self-talk, this narrative that doesn't suit us, that doesn't serve us, that turns into our beliefs? So not only are we allowing the toddler to give you directions in your life, but we're rejecting and avoiding our teenager, our teenage brain. We don't identify with our emotions. Heck, we run away from our emotions. We don't process them. We don't see it. We don't hear it. We're sitting in the dark. We are not accepting ourselves. We flat out ignore our emotions in the hopes that, oh yeah, you know, one day we'll grow up and like we'll blossom into a responsible adult. Yeah, no. Have you looked around at the responsible adults that are walking around trying to lead the world, right? Sorry to burst your bubble, but it doesn't work like that. This is why so many of us are living in adult bodies, like with wrinkles and like flappy exteriors and like sagging anteriors, (laughs) sagging boobs, but making decisions based on what? What are we making decisions based on? We're making decisions based on our toddler brain, our toddler thoughts, and we're acting out like teenagers. We grow in age, in number, but we operate and function at a level of a child, of a toddler, of a teenager. And I know all of y'all can look around and like, Give me an example of the last time that you saw an adult acting like a toddler and teenager. But again, I don't want you to look around. I want you to look within. And I want you to ask yourself, is my teenager that's in my brain, not the one that's in my home, not the one that's in my house walking around, the one that's in my head walking around, is my teenager fearful? If so, how often is it fearful? 
Is it every day? Is it every minute? Is it once a week? Is it once a month? And why is my teenager scared? This is your pause practices. So ask yourself, is my teenager fearful? How often and why? What are they scared of? Number two, is my teenager that's in my head, not on the outside. Don't try to fix your teenager on the outside. You got to fix your teenager that's sitting in your head. Is my teenager angry? If so, how often? Why is my teenager angry? I was angry. There's 24 hours in the day. I was angry 25 hours out of the day for like a really long time. And why is my teenager angry? I was angry because I didn't prioritize myself. I was going after all the external validation and I had zero internal validation. I was saying really mean stuff to myself. And so obviously I wasn't treating my teenager kindly. I was ignoring it. I was not processing my feelings. Oh Lord, feelings were weak for me. And I'm still trying to get over that belief, right? Number three. What is the one thing that I've been conditioned to do as a child that's still holding me back in life? What is the belief or the thought behind it? How does it affect the way I live now? Present moment, guys. I don't care what happened in the past. Present moment. And number four. I think, no, wait, maybe this is number five. One, two, three, four, five. Last one. Do I accept my teenager? Do I see or hear my teenager? If yes, awesome. In what ways? If no, then in what ways? I hope that's super helpful. This, the teenage brain is like one of my favorite parts of the brain and my teenage patients are my favorite patients because all they need, they just need acceptance and acceptance is free all. You don't have to be a multimillionaire to have acceptance and acceptance from the heart. Everybody has a heart, but the problem is our hearts are so jaded and closed off. So I need you to expand. I need you to go within. I need you to serve your heart. And once you do that, then you can serve your teenager. That is all I've got for me all this week. Oh, this was kind of a long one. Sorry, it was 47 minutes. If these episodes are super long, can someone like send me a message and say like, keep your episodes shorter? I never know how long, because I can talk for like five hours. Anyways, I never know when to stop. So please give me feedback. Share this. Please let me know if the audio is good or bad or the same. And please do your pause practices and remember to email me or go on my Facebook page and message me about the journaling webinar. If that's a good idea, then I will make that happen for y'all. Okay. Have an awesome, awesome week. Bye. Are you ready to connect with your authentic self and transform your life with mindful living? Email me at palavansogol at gmail.com to set up a discovery call for your mindfulness coaching. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to learn more tools and resources. See y'all next week.